0: open your Bibles up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. Still feels kind of like New Year's, doesn't it? You still feel like it's New Year's? It's early in the year? Feel that way? We're all thinking about what needs to change. What's going to change this year? What's going to be different this year? Am I the only one? Thinking, you know what's going to be different this year? I'll tell you what's going to be different. These, this is what I'm going to do better this year. New Year just kind of gives us a fresh start. And uh, usually everybody's thinking about about fitness. You want to you want to be healthy, right? You want to work out this year. I've worked out one time this year. <laughs> eh? One time. I am on my way toward I'm actually not too worried about fitness. I'm 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 in incredible shape. In case you didn't know that, maybe you didn't. I, I took a picture at the gym recently. Check it out. This is me at the gym. There you go. <laughs> What's so funny? I did a lot of work to get to that point. Take that down so nobody gets jealous. We're all thinking about fitness, physical fitness, getting in shape. And, uh, you know, there's all the commercials, join the gym now. How are you going to eat right this year? Physical fitness, we want to get in shape. But um, we're actually going to talk today about spiritual fitness. Hey, what kind of shape are you in spiritually? How do you even answer that question? How do I know? How do I respond to that spiritual fitness is the topic for today and um, in 2015 listen do you want 2015 to be a year of great spiritual exertion by the end of the year do you want to be exhausted because of what the lord has done through you or do you want to sit in the bleachers and take a year off because the word of god this morning is calling you to tremendous exertion spiritually this year to break a sweat. How do I do it? Well, we'll talk about how you can get spiritually fit this year. Let's pray first. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word. And yet again, here we are gathering around your word to hear from you. This, this year, we want you to speak to us. We want you to go to work inside of us. And we pray that it would be for your glory that your word gets into our hearts, brings about transformation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. We're going through chapter 4. We're going to circle back around. For those of you who are like, you know, sticklers for playing by the rules, yes, we did skip a few verses, all right? But we're going to go back. Don't worry. I didn't miss them. We're going to go back, but we're in chapter 4, because these are great verses for the new year. Check out verse 6. It says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Circle back now to verses 6 and 7. You want to be spiritually fit? It says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine. Then it says flat out in verse 7, train yourself for godliness. Write that down, number one in your bulletin. Train yourself for godliness. It's a call to activity, not to passivity. It's a call to effort, not to waiting. Train. Train yourself for godliness. What, what is godliness? The word godliness seems a little obscure. What godliness? What exactly is that? In fact, the whole book of 1 Timothy sets out to somehow define what godliness is and what godliness isn't. It also sets out to clearly create a line of demarcation between those who are godly and those who are not godly. And no surprise, one, one part of godliness is what you believe. And there were people in Ephesus who were teaching false things. They were fakes. They were frauds. But they were acting godly. They were acting that way. I like what Charles Spurgeon said of those we're supposed to avoid. He says there's two kinds of people. He said, avoid all who are avowedly disobedient to the truth and those who are deceptively submissive. And it's the deceptively submissive who had crept into the church in Ephesus and they were playing the game. They were pretending they weren't godly, but they were acting the part. So if I'm going to train myself for godliness, what exactly is it? The godly person believes and behaves God's way. It's both. It's faith and fruit. It's belief and behavior. Put it together, if I'm doing it God's way, I'm godly then I'll be what the Bible here calls a good servant of Christ Jesus. Good meaning God's favor is upon you. God's endorsement is with you because you're a good servant of Christ Jesus. Train yourself for godliness. And then it says here in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, what? His teachings. You'll be a good servant. Being trained in what? The words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So these are the beliefs Write this down. This is the first sub-point here. If I'm going to train myself for godliness, how do I do it? Well, strive to learn God's Word. Jot that down. Strive to learn God's Word. When it says in verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith, uh, the word for trained there means nourished. It means brought up because you've fed on something. so it, it means like fed on, but then by extension, it means to be strengthened or matured or grown up because you've been nourished or fed by something. So, so when it says in verse six, being trained in the words of faith, the idea is a child who's been well fed and grown up and nourished so that now they're mature and strong. So how does a Christian get mature and strong? Well, by feeding like a child on the word of God. It says here, trained in the words of the faith. And it says here, putting before them these teachings that I'm giving you. So we have to strive to learn God's word, to feed on God's word, to grow stronger on on God's word, and then we'll grow up. Uh, Physical fitness begins with a good diet, am I right? You thinking about what you're eating this year? Uh, In our home, uh, Lauren said, I'd like to try to go gluten-free in our family in January. And I said, all right, well, let's try it. Sure, I'm up for it. I've, I've, in the past, I've gone through calorie counting and watched what I've, you know, eating is, but I've never actually done like a legitimate, like this type of diet that could be read about in a book, right? So this is my first diet like that. And I was like, all right, I'm on board. Sure, let's go gluten-free. Let's see what happens. And then the first day, I totally blew it for the kids because I went to Home Depot, had to buy something, took Jared with me, and we're shopping. He's like, could I get a snack? I'm like, sure, pick something up. So he picks out this big bag of, you know, combos, those like cheddar cheese pretzel combos. We go through checkout, we walk out to the van, I'm putting the stuff away, get in the seat, driving home. It doesn't hit me till halfway home that I just ruined the diet, you know. And I'm like, those aren't gluten free. You ever try and take something from your kid while you're driving? (laughs) He was sitting in the seat right behind me and I was like, Give me those chips. He's like, no, they're mine. I'm like, they're not gluten-free. I'm going to get in trouble. Give me those. He's like, no, I don't want to go gluten-free. And he's like shoving them into his mouth. (laughs) So I somehow managed to grab the bag from him and I hid it so I could eat it later, right? (laughs) And then the next day, like when I got home, I I went over to where I hid and there was the plastic bag, but but the combos were gone. And then I look over and the dog had eaten the combos. And he's looking at me like, I'm not gluten-free. <laughs> you rascal. Hey, you know that if you want to be in shape physically, you've got to eat right. You can't, you, know, you can't go to White Castle breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it doesn't matter if you exercise. It's not going to work if you don't have a good diet. The same is true spiritually. If you don't have a good diet, diet of what you're feeding on, if you're not nourishing your soul with truth, you're not going to get mature. You can't grow up and be healthy. All spiritual fitness and health begins with a healthy diet of the truth. So when it says in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, that means I've got a responsibility each week to give you a healthy meal. I've got to make sure I'm not putting things in front of you that are like, you know, expired food like you know i mean i have to be very careful about what i'm putting in front of you it's supposed to be a a well-balanced diet of truth right and it says being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine we're supposed to be feeding on it in verse 7 it says have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths so instead of the truth some people back in their small group in ephesus they go to small group and their small group leader would be feeding them junk right? Or even maybe some elders and leaders, when they would get a chance to preach, would be feeding the congregation junk, poisonous food, things that were not true. We've already learned about this, but the things that were not true in this context were uh, silly old myths, things that were not in the Bible and weren't even true. And then when they used the Bible, they got all conspiracy theory, like, oh, I can tell you who the Messiah really was. Follow this genealogy with me. And it's like a code they're cracking, right? So it was, and most people didn't believe it, But there were a few who were like, he's making a good point. They were falling for it. You're supposed to strive to learn and teach God's word. And in verse 7, where it says there, uh, train yourself for godliness, that's a different word than the first time train came up. There, the word for train um, is where we get our word for gymnasium. So in the Greek, they use a word that sounds a lot like our word for gymnasium. And it, it was back then, you know, kind of a way of saying serious exertion. Uh, Right, so get to the gym spiritually, break a sweat, train, discipline, feed, healthy diet on what? Well, it says words of faith, good doctrine, things I've presented before you. All right, put all those together words of faith, good doctrine, things that I have given to you, present before the brother. So, what truth am I supposed to feed on? Well, here it's, of course, the teachings of the Apostle Paul, the New Testament authors. In chapter 6 of this book, it talks about how the words of Christ are trustworthy and good to eat. So the words of the Lord, the words of the New Testament authors. Um, Elsewhere in the New Testament, it validates the Old Testament as being a great source of nutrition for the New Testament believer. We're supposed to feed on it. Hey, do you have any goals this year for getting yourself into God's Word? Have you? If I were to say to you, what's your spiritual goal this year? Or give me a few of them. Do you have any? Or are you just kind of like, eh, I don't know, I'm just going to see what happens. Hey, it's best to have a goal, and not only to have a goal, but to tell somebody in your small group your goal. Here's my goal this year. I'm going to do this or this or this, so that you can be held accountable. Honestly, if you don't have a goal, you're not going to get very far, right? So it's, it's always good to have a goal. Last year, I, my goal was to read through the Bible in the year, and I was trying to get done by October, uh, and, I, and I managed to just finish now. So I ran a little bit behind. I blame the building program and my kids. I blame both of them. Fell a little behind, but I finished it. I got through the Bible uh, a little bit into this year, and so I'm really happy about that. I'm thinking through what to do this year. Um, Let me suggest a few goals that you might want to take on. One suggestion would be that you read through the Bible this year. Uh, Each year, I challenge people in our church, if you've never read through the Bible, do it. Three to four chapters a day, and don't give up. Just keep reading through it. And if you fall behind, then just, you know, binge when you've got a trip, you're on the airplane or whatever, just catch up. Um, But you can do it. And I've had people take me at that challenge. I've had people come up and say, you know, I finished. It's awesome. First time ever. We actually have a a chart back at the welcome table. You can grab one on the way out where you can check off the chapters you've read in each book and just stick it right in your Bible. That's how I do it. You just three or four chapters a day. You just check them all off. And when you do it, you have to make sure that you... um, change up where you're at. If you just start in Genesis and try and read straight, you're going to lose heart when you get to the Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy. you got to switch. you got to go New Testament, Old, jump around. all right. But hey, maybe you want to read through the Bible this year. Maybe, maybe you want to focus more on prayer. One of the best things that ever happened in my spiritual life is one of my professors at Moody Seminary uh, told us about prayer journaling. And um, once I started writing my prayers down two, three times a week, it revolutionized how I talk to God. Um, and maybe your goal this year can be to fill a prayer journal. And what you do with the prayer journal is you start with God's word, and whatever you're reading, that, that's what you base your prayers on, right? So you start by reflecting on what God's word just said, and then you get into asking Him for things, right? Maybe you want to fill a prayer journal this year uh, for the first time, or another one would be if you want to go a little deeper, um, do you own a study Bible? A study Bible you can buy online just has all sorts of background notes written in the bottom of the Bible to help you understand at a new level what you're reading. So maybe you want to buy an ESV study Bible and read through the New Testament this year. So you're reading slower, but you're getting more out of the text because you're following the notes. Hey, I don't know, pick one of those three. Pick one of those. You want to read through the Bible this year? Who's going to do it? Put up your hand if you want to read through the Bible this year. Come on. Yeah. Those of you who are decisive, I'm giving you the chance to make an impulsive purchase right now. Put your hand up, all right? Now, small group leaders, take note of who just overcommitted because we're going to hold them accountable when the day comes. All right, what about prayer journaling? Are you, this is the year. Are you going to do a prayer journal? Come on, put your hand up. I'm going to do a prayer journal this year. I'm going to buy it at Target, and I'm going to start writing in it this year. Right, what about study Bible? Do you have a study Bible? Are you going to buy a study Bible? Who wants to read through the New Testament with a study Bible? Come on, put your hand up. Come on, put it up, put it up all right, good. Doesn't it feel good to make a decision? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you feel regret about the decision, there are verses in the Old Testament about rash vows, oaths that you make. You can always get out of it, all right? For a fee, I will show you these verses. Train yourself for godliness. You've got to strive to learn God's Word. If you don't have any goals, you're not striving. You're meandering. You've got to strive Jot this down next. Strive to avoid what is false. In verse 7, it just said avoid, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Irreverent means godless or worldly. Silly, literally, when it describes these myths, it means old lady stories. No offense to the old ladies. But a derogatory way to refer to a false teaching that's really out there is old lady fable. All right? Like something fit for partially cuckoo old 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 ladies who are just way out there i'm not insulting you the bible is so don't take it personally but the bible is literally mocking these teachings as something fit for crazy old ladies all right and people were falling for it strive to avoid what is false don't be gullible don't let don't be taken advantage of spiritually have nothing to do with it. I've got no time for it, no energy for it, no appetite for it. Hey, listen, don't feed on falsehood or conspiracy because it will make you spiritually sick. There are people peddling books that are filled with falsehood and conspiracy and they will make you spiritually sick. Don't get after that. Get into this book this year. All right, so first, you want to be fit spiritually? How do I do it? Train yourself for godliness. Learn God's word. Avoid what is false. Number two, write this down. Prioritize spiritual fitness. You've got to make it a priority. In verse eight, it says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Look at it again. Bodily training is of some value. When you work out physically, when you focus on physical fitness, everybody knows that that has some value. Am I right? You'd rather be in shape than out of shape. Would you say that's a fair statement? Because you know that there's benefits to being in shape, right? Your circulation is good. Your energy level is good. Uh, You know, your metabolism is faster. Everybody knows it's good to be physically fit. And, and, the commercials know that you want to be physically fit, so they always show you these before and after pictures. Right? Have you seen those? Look at this guy before he bought this thing. right? Uh, look at him after. Check this out. This is a before and after picture. And, and they want you to see that if you buy their product or eat their, you know, you will have a before and after picture just like him. I wonder if the tan came with the machine. I'm not sure. Wow. Hey, Every year, there should be this before picture of you in January and there should be this after picture of you in December spiritually. And if you look the same, something went wrong. If there's no change, something went wrong. Because we're supposed to press on. We're supposed to advance. God has a plan to grow us stronger, to make us healthier each year. So we have to make it a priority if physical fitness works, and we all know that it's good, then how much more spiritual fitness? It says in verse 8, bodily training is of some value. You know, back in, in the, the days of the New Testament, the games, the Olympic games were so popular. They had, uh, they had coliseums, they had games all over the place, so you could see the athletes training. You could see them getting ready for the race or for the wrestling contest. And, and perhaps drawing from that imagery that was already familiar to them, Uh, He's saying, hey, everybody knows that guy over there, you know, has a leg up on you. Just try and race him. We all know that. That's of some value. But look at this. Godliness is of value in every way. Eternal value. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So physical fitness is good. Spiritual fitness is far better eternally better, infinitely more valuable. Why? First it says because there's a promise for this life. Do you know that there's a promise God has attached to godliness in this life? Do you know that in this life, before you go on to glory, there are promises attached to obedience? Do you know that obedience brings blessing? If you seek him, you'll find him. If you draw near, he'll draw near to you. This is called the reap-sow principle. God has just flat out said that if if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit. But if you sow to the flesh, which is those base, sinful, godless desires, you'll reap from the flesh. There's so often in life, there's a connection between what we're going through and what we've chosen. Honestly, most of what we go through in life flows right out from our choices. We may feel like helpless victims, but either we're experiencing the harvest of our choices or we're experiencing the harvest of the choices of those around us. And too often Christians try and coat choices with a spirituality and say, well, God must have let this happen for a reason. Yeah, that's true, but you made some really terrible choices and you're reaping what you've sown. So, you can't just wave a magic wand over that and act like your choices did not produce that crop. And here, the Bible's reminding you that there's a promise for the present life. If you strive and toil to seek after the Lord, there will be a harvest of righteousness. There's a promise for this life of what? Of blessing, of peace, of power, of forgiveness. Of God's presence, of transformation. So many promises in this life. And it also says there's promise for the life to come. Meaning, God, when you obey, when you seek Him, when you strive, the the, the blessings in this life are just the beginning. There's even more of a blessing in the next life. Yes, there is a direct connection between the way you follow the Lord here and how you will spend eternity. Well, I'm already in heaven. I'm going to be baptized. I already got baptized and I was saved when I was 13 years old. So I'm going to heaven, yes. But there are plenty of passages in the New Testament that say there's some sort of a correspondence between the rewards and the commendation you receive in heaven and your obedience here. Some scholars try and dismiss that. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. What's God going to do? Hand out gold medals in heaven? What could you possibly want more than his presence? All right, I get your logic, but it's just not biblical to dismiss that God has blatantly said that there will be rewards for faithfulness in heaven. That's true. And that's supposed to be an incentive, some sort of a motivation for you to obey because it's worth it. It's worth it to do more than just put your head down, cross your arms, and say, fine, I'm not happy with what God's given me in life, but I'll get to heaven eventually, so I'm just going to live through it. No, you're supposed to have an incentive to do more than just... Be lived. You're supposed to actually take hold of the life that is truly life. This is a call to radical action this morning. But you've got to make it a priority because there's a promise for this life and the next. You should make it a priority. Based on the reward for obedience, it's worth the endurance. Sadly, so many Christians live without a plan and so many Christians just don't prioritize their spiritual walk. And they kind of expect that somehow... They're going to get better spiritually, even though they don't make it a priority. You know, in Illinois, there's a lot of controversy over health care, am I right? And then, uh, and then even, in the, even in the country, and then so finally, we have to get health care. Uh, but, but some people just don't want to. They just don't want to. So, so now, Illinois has to put out these campaigns to try and motivate people to do what they have to do. Because so many people are just not getting health care, and they're just, uh, they're just going with what's called the luck method of physical health care. So Illinois has got these commercials out now. Check it out. Here's a commercial. Now there's a health plan for people who can't stand paperwork. A plan with no co-pays. A plan with no monthly premiums. A plan with no real health care of any kind. Introducing the Luck Health Plan. No actual health coverage. There's literally nothing to it. That's what I call freedom. It's called the Luck Plan for a reason. It's based entirely on luck. I just cross my fingers and hope for the best. The Luck Health Plan. You'll be okay, probably. Isn't that great? They're calling you out. If you're going without physical health care to take care of your physical well-being, they're calling you out. Bad choice. What you're basically saying is, I'll be okay, probably. Probably. Listen, the Bible is calling you out spiritually this morning. If you're going without a plan, if you're going without goals, if you don't prioritize your spiritual walk, what you're saying to the Lord is, I'll be okay probably. That's your spiritual health plan, meaning you don't have one. Listen, five years into ministry here, I've sat down with the husband and wife whose plan was, we'll be okay probably. Didn't prioritize spiritual growth. Didn't let the Lord into their heart. Made all sorts of concessions on where their time went. Then the whole thing broke apart. And guess what? They weren't okay. Parents who give in and don't prioritize the spiritual growth of their children, the spiritual input, they'll be okay probably. Even if we let everything else crowd out their growth and health, they'll be okay probably, and then they're not. And they go off to college, and they never come back. And they're not okay. College students, well, if I take, you know, if I take these four years off, I'll be okay probably, though. No. We've seen the college students who come here and say, hey, I want this to be the best four years of my spiritual life. Tell me what to do. And we've seen the college students who are like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm never coming back to church because I'm on break for four years. It doesn't end well for them. Hey, are you going with the I'll be okay probably plan for your spiritual fitness? Are you on the luck plan? Here the Bible is reminding you that bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise now for the present life and also for the life to come. And then it just adds an exclamation point. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Meaning don't even let it get out of your heart. Take it in. Heed the warning. So train yourself for godliness, learn God's word, avoid what is false, prioritize spiritual fitness. What does that actually mean? How do I know if I am prioritizing spiritual fitness? Well, the basic routines in our church we challenge you to do is worship, walk, work. And the truth is, if we talk to somebody on the phone who just starts visiting and you know, they're, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I can only make church once you know, every other month, they're not worshiping. And Small group, you know, I don't have time for that. My schedule's busy. Well, they're, they're not really walking with Christ. And ministry team, eh, I don't really have time for that. I'm not good at anything. They're not working for Christ. If you're not worshiping, walking, and working, we would say that in our church, we're not able to grow you spiritually. We just can't. You just are going to stand still for a year. Uh, maybe at other churches, that would work out, and they've got all sorts of other peripheral things you can attend on your time. But you know what? At our church, we just constantly challenge you to worship, walk, and work, and to grow in all of those three things. Um, if you do, if you prioritize those things, then then what? Then what? Then you'll be able to bear up under the weight of life. Then you'll be able to apply God's truth accurately. People going through things too often, and then they tell me what they're going through, and then they poorly attach Bible verses to it. And I say you don't you don't know how to apply God's word to your life right now. You're not thinking biblically about your circumstance because you're not spiritually fit. Um, What else? You'll be devoted to regular spiritual routines, not fickle, devoted. And I think this is one that people who learn their Bible well sometimes overlook. You're also able to manage the relationships in your life in a healthy manner. There's people who seem like they're spiritually fit, and then as soon as conflict comes into their life, look out. They have no ability, no ability to maintain loving relationships with those around them. And it's because they're spiritually unhealthy. They're weak in love, and they need to grow stronger. Spiritual fitness will lead to these things, but you have to prioritize it. So train yourself for godliness. Prioritize spiritual fitness. Number three, write this down. Toil and strive through hope in your risen Savior. Toil and strive through hope in your risen Savior. This comes look at verse 9 again, leading into 10. It says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive those are powerful, active words. Sometimes people who know theology are a little uncomfortable when, when we give everybody like a blatant call to effort. Sometimes they get theological and they're like, well, isn't it all God working in us? We're not supposed to like work harder because it's all up to him. And he's sovereign and so, so why are you telling people to work harder? I think, I think actually churches, Christians, can make two mistakes when it comes to spiritual growth. They can either say, Try harder, meaning all by myself without God. I'm going to try harder to do it on my own the way that hasn't worked before. That, that won't work. You're right. Try harder to do it on my own won't work. But I think too often the other mistake they make is try nothing. Try harder, yeah, that won't work. But try nothing, that's an even worse plan. So don't get all theological up in your head saying, well, I don't want to work harder. I'm just going to let God do it all and I'm going to try nothing. No, that's not biblical. It's not biblical to make your growth plan try nothing. That's a really bad unbiblical plan for spiritual growth. It says here, toil. Toil. The word toil, write this down, means wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. Toil means to grow weary, to be exhausted. Check this out. At the, end of a, at the end of a race, they took this picture of all the athletes who just ran. Look it. They are exhausted. And the Bible says, do that spiritually. We toil. We wear ourselves out spiritually. This is a call to extreme exertion in your spiritual life. So last year, I, I, uh, I did something I had never done before. I ran a 5K last year. If you don't know what a 5K is, it's 50 miles. So you should be really impressed by me. <laughs> Are you impressed? Isn't that great? It's really not. It's only three. Three miles. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. That feels great. So Pastor Mark has been trying to talk me into a half marathon forever. And I've, I've tried to ward him off, but... I think finally he's convinced me that that, um, I'm going to run a half marathon this year. So I'm kind of excited about that, but I just lied to you because I'm not excited about that. (laughs) So I went to the gym one time and I was like dragging myself to the treadmill. I'm like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna. And then I got on the treadmill. I probably hadn't worked out all December. So I was running, you know, and I was at a pace and, and a little elevation there. And about one mile in, I'm like... There is a Portillo's right down the street. <laughs> you know what? I'm just running. They've got bad TV on. You're watching The View, and it's like, ah, just want to get out of this place, right? But by the end, I, made, I jogged four miles. So I felt pretty good about myself. But then all the rest of the day, I I forgot that I jogged. So I was like, man, why am I so st- Oh yeah, I, I I worked out. I hadn't worked. And then you know, later that night, I'm like, man, I'm so tired. Oh yeah, I I worked out. I. I exhausted myself this morning, and it actually feels pretty good now. I haven't worked out since, but I'm just telling you (laughs) that for that moment, it was invigorating. Wear yourself out. Uh, I love to see people worn out for the Lord. I love it. I love when people who come to our church and hadn't really done much at their last church, maybe didn't get the opportunity, and they really, really work hard. I love seeing that. I love seeing that. I think, I think there's people all around here. Marianne wore herself out for the Lord this Christmas. You know, we didn't have any Christmas decorations up, like the second week in December. We're like, we need to put decorations up. We didn't even think of it. Who wants it? Marianne's like, I'll do it. And by about, you know, two days into it, she regretted her decision because it was a lot of work. But listen, when when she and Bob were taking everything down, probably two Fridays ago, I walked out here, she was she was out in in the library. she was on her knees picking up stuff, and she was covered in glitter from the <laughs> Christmas decorations. And I just stopped. Remember this, Marianne? I was like, Marianne, thank you so much. She was sweating. Do you know what glitter plus sweat does to you? It's not coming off for a year. And I'm like, thank you so much for working hard. And, and I could tell she was exhausted. It's what do you want to do Friday night? Here she is. And she looked up at me and she said, I just wanted to give Jesus a special birthday. And I was like, you're awesome. Like, how cool is I love seeing people exhaust themselves for the Lord. And the heart behind it was not one of bitterness. That's amazing. Toil and strive. What does the word strive mean? Write this down. Agonize. For the prize. The word means agonize. We toil. We exhaust ourselves. We strive. We agonize. Agonize. The idea there is one who is fighting for a prize. One who is sprinting to break the tape. Check this out. This is a boxer. This is a boxer who's agonizing for the win. Do that spiritually. This is a runner. This is a sprinter who's Crossing the finish line. Are you going to look like that spiritually? There's also the opportunity to do the lazy plan this year to just cut corners and to just. Here's a guy who's who's cutting corners uh, when he's fixing his own car. He's going the lazy route. <laughs> Don't want to take it in. Don't want to spend any money. Honey, I got this. I'll see you in a little bit. Like, <laughs> smash like grape. Right And, uh, hey, what are you going to do this year? Are you going to agonize, fight for the prize, sprint for the finish line? There are many in our church who are willing to make commitments that cost them time and energy for their church. At every age level, there's high schoolers who are coming in Tuesdays to help with Awana. There's college students who are coming back Sunday night to help with youth. They're, they're making commitments that cost them something. Um, I love to see it. There are adults who right now could be coasting in their life, and yet they're making commitments that cost them something. I I love seeing parents making the spiritual growth of their children a priority, even when it costs them other activities. I love seeing our college students from Trinity when they make ministry a priority. And even though they've got as much homework as everyone else, somehow they find time to serve and to attend the church. I love that. Uh, We've got people in our church who are like Terry and Jan Kent. you know Terry and Jan Kent? They kind of lead up our soul care ministry here. Like Terry's retired. He should be on a golf course. And instead, they're spending hours and hours and hours with people in our church who are going through trial. How are you going to spend your retirement? They're here. They're here fighting for some people. I love it. They're agonizing for others. Now, here's where we have to be careful, because toil, strive, but if we don't do it with the right focus and heart, then it's going to all be in the flesh, and it'll fail. All right. So we have to toil and strive, but be very careful. Look what it says here. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We can toil, we should toil, and strive. Why? Because we have our hope set on the living God. It's really huge to not read past that. The reason you can, the reason you should press on toward greater things is because you have a living God who's going to help you. And he's made some promises about your obedience in this life. That's what's going to keep you going forward. If you just just go through the try, fail, repeat plan all by yourself to try and somehow impress God, that's not going to work. You've got to remember God's your Savior and you need him to do this or it's not going to work. I love Philippians 1.6. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. It says, I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who began the good work in you? He did. Who's bringing it on to completion? He is. When you know that, you can toil and strive with confidence because he's going to grow you. All of your confidence, all of your effort, all of your toil is based on Your belief in the reality that he's actively growing you. If you get this wrong, you're not going to get far. You see, you're not doing it to impress him. He's doing it to impress you. You aren't doing it to impress others. He's doing it to impress others. He's doing it. This is a call to allow God to do What he's promised to do in this life and in the life to come. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. What does hope mean? I think a good definition of hope here is confidence in the completion of an unfinished promise. Hope is confidence in the completion of an unfinished promise. The Bible is reminding Christians, saved Christians, that they needed a Savior. Why is it that Christians sometimes get saved and then act like from now on they don't need a Savior anymore? Oh, I needed one back then, but now I'm on the path towards spiritual growth and progress. Oh yeah, He did a whole lot for me and me back then, but now I am roaring ahead. Why is it that we don't understand that The fact that we needed a Savior moment, one, shows us how pathetic our efforts are going to be for the rest of our life if we don't continue to face the reality that we need a living Savior to grow us. Our hope can't be on, now I'm going to do it because I got the better plan or more willpower. No, my hope is I've got a living God. I've got a living God. How are you going to grow? How are you gonna, You've failed so many times before, it's not even worth trying. Yeah, but I've got a living God. You're pathetic. You don't know the Bible. You'll never know the Bible. You tried to do this before and it failed. Why? Because I've got a living God. Because I've got a living God and he's made some promises to me. It's never God's voice saying, just stay down. Don't get back up. Last year was pathetic. This, this year, you're going to be just as pathetic of a father this year as you were. Just stay down. That's not God's voice. You've got a living God. You have a living God. He's the Savior of all people. What does that mean? This doesn't mean that God is going to save all people. It doesn't mean he did save all people. It doesn't mean he will save all people. There was a fight in Ephesus over who was the true Savior and what way do we get saved. And here the Bible is basically just saying he's the Savior of all compared to all of your other false saviors. He is the potentially and really the only one who can save anyone. So that's what that means. But then what does he go on to say here? Especially of those who believe. This is a reminder that those who have put their faith in Christ are actually saved. So actually, it's tangibly come upon those who believe. But I think in addition, it's a reminder to Christians that they need a Savior. He's the Savior of all people, including you. Remember, you need a Savior. We toil and strive because we have a living Savior and our hope is in Him. There are some here in this room who are trying to go through life without a living Savior. That path will not take you to heaven. You're trying to do spirituality all by yourself. You're trying to save yourself and grow yourself. I saw a picture recently of a dog that got fed up with its owner who wasn't taking him for a walk as much as he wanted. So check this out. This dog decided to take himself for a walk. See that? Isn't that adorable? <laughs> I'm going for a walk. For many people, spiritually, this is what, this is what you're doing. You're trusting you, your effort, your, your performance, the way you stack up to other people to get you into heaven. You don't have a Savior. Uh, you haven't understood why Jesus came into the world, why he died on the cross, why he rose again, and therefore you don't have hope. You don't have confidence in the completion of an unfinished promise because God has not started to work in you yet. All you will find this year and next year and the year after that is one more cycle of despair. You won't get anywhere spiritually. Morally, you might turn over a new leaf. You might be able to limit your drinking. You might be able to rein in your spending. You might get one or two areas under control temporarily, but you won't have a new heart. You won't have a living relationship with the God who loves you. In fact, your pride will grow the more that you try and take on your sins yourself. It says here, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You need to believe. You need to believe. I started by asking if you're spiritually fit, what kind of shape you're in. If you don't have a relationship in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe the truth about Jesus, you're spiritually dead. The Bible says you're spiritually dead. How fit can a corpse ever be? You have to come to life before you can even take your first step with God. And many people who are trying religion instead of faith are so worn out. You feel, I've been toiling and agonizing and you're getting nowhere because you're not saved. And Christ wants to free you from that. He wants to free you so that you can actually be saved, and then you can go on toward godliness and spiritual fitness and hope in your risen Savior. But listen, you've got to believe. Let me just lay this out there. This year can be completely different than any other year in your life because you're understanding that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all. And you have to give up your self effort of trying to sprint and impress God, and you have to fall at the feet of Christ and say, I need a Savior. To get anywhere spiritually, I need a Savior. And once you ask Jesus to save you, everything changes. He gives you a new heart, a new life, and he makes a promise that you'll get to heaven. And that promise will one day be completed. Then every step you take, he's right there with you and he's helping you to press on. It's no longer fear, guilt, condemnation, failure, fear, guilt, condemnation, failure. It's, it's forgiveness, blessing, grace. Even when you slip, there's more forgiveness, blessing, and grace, and then there's growth. You become someone you could never become on your own. Hey, are you ready to admit to God that you need a Savior? Are you ready to start this year and to say, I need Christ to save me once and for all, to give me life? Charles Spurgeon said this, Trust and it will not take an hour to save you. The moment you trust, you're saved. You may come in here as black as hell, but if you trust in Jesus, you are wholly forgiven. In an instant, swifter than a flash of lightning, the deed of grace is done. Oh, may God the Spirit do it now, bringing you to trust that you may be saved. If you've believed the lie that it's going to take a lifetime of effort before you even know if God's happy with you, it's time to let go of that lie right now. You need to give up that plan and say, I need a Savior here and now. I want to give you a chance right now to spring into life spiritually, to have To have a year like you've never had before with God. To respond to the truth that the Word of God says. He's the living God who is the Savior of all people. Let's bow our hearts right now and let's pray in response to what we've heard. Father, I remember back in college when I knew about you, but I didn't know you. Jesus, I remember when I had heard the stories about you, but I didn't know you. I remember when I tried to learn and behave and and felt hopeless after it all. I just pray for those who are here today, Father, wanting them to hear clearly that this is not a call to more religious effort. This is a call to faith in Christ. We walk by faith. I pray for those who are ready to finally cry out, for a Savior to finally abandon all religious effort apart from God to find forgiveness and hope in their own heart Father right now they may want to pray along with me saying this Father forgive me for trying things that don't work without you forgive me for trying to parade my goodness in front of all other people it didn't work forgive me for faking goodness being a hypocrite Thank you for the truth that you are a savior of all. And I want you to be my savior right here, right now. Give me the power to live the life that you have planned for me. Give me the strength and hope to know you and to follow you. Erase all of my sins from my heart and fill me with joy and peace because of what Christ did for me on the cross. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.